again, everyone. Welcome to Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. I'm Jim Stedman, editor of Cotton Grower, and I'm flying solo today. So my colleague and friend Beck Barnes and his family are enjoying a little R&R uh, at, a, at a destination or at a location uh, undisclosed. Well, I think right now it's safe to say that cotton harvest for the 2023 season is uh, is definitely in full swing. That means there's some long days and nights in the fields uh, while weather's cooperating, and it really has been cooperating well for the last few weeks. Uh, that also means some long days ahead at the gins. Uh, seed companies right now are busy wrapping up their variety trials and gathering data to help determine which new varieties and technologies to put in growers' hands for 2024. So it's just a busy time all around. And we're going to take a quick look at the at the latest USDA crop progress numbers for cotton here in just a couple of minutes, as well as a couple of news items of interest to the industry. And then we're going to turn our discussion to soil health, which between harvest and planting is a topic that's likely going to cross through growers' minds here over the next few months. We're going to be talking with Jessica Kelton with the Soil Health Institute about their programs some of the research they've been involved in this year, and some upcoming programs that should be of interest to cotton growers. So please be sure to stay tuned for that. But first, we want to recognize a new sponsor for the Cotton Companion. That's Vive Crop Protection. And here to tell you more about the company and how they can help enhance cotton production is my colleague Larry Allward with a custom interview with George Huckabee, who is Vive's Southern Technical Sales Agronomist. Hello, I'm Larry Elward, Custom Content Editor for Meister Media Worldwide. I'd like to welcome George Huckabee, the Southern Technical Sales Agronomist for Vive Crop Protection, a company that uses precision chemistry to develop products and technologies to increase grower return on investment, efficiency, and sustainability. George is going to answer some questions about how to achieve a good cotton crop early in the season including controlling thrips and nematodes. First, a little bit about George. He has worked as an agronomist for several years, including the last three years with Vive Crop Protection. George is also a certified crop advisor. His specialties include fertility, weed and insect problems, seed and new product recommendations and evaluation. George, welcome. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for having me on today. George, what are some things growers should consider to ensure their cotton crops get off to a good start? Well, Larry, uh, first off, you want to make sure you have the, the right variety selected, and then you want to make sure you have good soil moisture and, and adequate soil temperature. After that, you want to avoid herbicide injury, and you also want to pr protect emerging plants from insects. Thrips seem to be one of those early season problems in getting a cotton crop going. What management options are there for rip control? Well, you know, uh, seed treatments and ag logic are, are very common in the industry today, and, and they do a pretty good job. But another option is uh, is villiprid insecticide. It is a metoclopid-based insecticide that's applied where it needs to be, right in the furrow. By applying it in furrow, villiprid is immediately available for root uptake and therefore protects emerging cotton seedlings. It's safe for applicators and easy to use. How about nematodes, George? How can cotton growers determine if they have nematode problems? Well, uh, one way they can they can do it is uh, they can pull a soil sample at the end of the growing season and send it off to the lab. But another way is to is look at your field history, and you can also scout for symptoms during the growing season. Some of these symptoms include stunted plants, areas where the plants tend to wilt first in dry periods, and the presence of galls on the roots of infected plants. 
George, talk about Vive Crop Protection's Averland FC nematicide side and how it can be used for nematode control. Uh, Averland FC is the only avamectin-based product labeled for infer use on cotton. It is one of the best, if not the best, nematicides on the market when it comes to toxicity to nematodes. Even an initial sublethal dose still kills nematodes by rendering them paralyzed, thus unable to feed, and therefore they die. The growers also applied Averland FC in the right place in furrow and creates a protection zone around the seedling. By using Averland FC, the grower gets more AI per acre when compared to seed treatments. It also has a safer LD50 to the applicator than other toxic nematicides on the market. George, where can cotton growers go to learn more about Vibes products? Well, the best place to go is on our website. It's vivecrop.com uh, backslash cotton. And that's also where you can find your, your contact information for Vive regional sales managers who would love to help you fight thrips and nematodes. George, thank you for taking the time to provide cotton growers with this pertinent information about thrip and nematode control. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for having me on today. Well, thanks very much to Larry and George for sharing that information. Now, as I mentioned earlier, USDA released its latest crop progress report on October 23rd. And here's what the report said about the uh, 2023 cotton crop. Beltwide, at this point, 41% of the total U.S. crop has been harvested. That's up eight percentage points in the past week, and then we're actually now running two points ahead of the five-year average for this date. And when you look at the numbers on a regional basis, growers have harvested already approximately 68% of the Mid-South cotton crop, 28% of the Southeast crop, 30% of the Southwest crop, and 21% of the Western crop. So we are off to an ex exceptional start in terms of getting this this, uh, this year's crop out of the fields into the gin. The crop condition remains fairly static, just as it has through most of this season. 29% of the crop is rated good to excellent. That's overall. There are some states that the numbers are much, much higher. The 28% fair across the board and 43% poor and very poor, which is a reflection on some of the drought conditions that uh, our folks in the Southwest and uh, and Upper High Plains have dealt with again this year. So uh, again, we'll take a look at another report here in a w another week, but I suspect we're gonna see those uh, that harvest number well up over 50% by, uh, by the next report. The Cotton Board's 2022 annual report is now available online for downloading at www.cottonboard.org. This report features 2022 budget and financial information, an overview of the top line strategic priorities of the Cotton Research and Promotion Program, and information on projects and programs from 2022. If you want a copy of the report on paper or in DVD format, now the Cotton Board's happy to provide those to you as well. <clears throat> Just mail your email your request to Stacy Gorman. Her email address is sgorman, that's S-G-O-R-M-A-N, at cottonboard, all one word, dot org. Similarly, the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol is seeking stakeholder consultation on the revision of the protocol's principles and criteria and its grower enrollment questionnaire. Uh, the revision of these documents reflects sort of the ongoing evolution of the protocol program, and this input is important to them to help ensure the quality and effectiveness of this standard. 
Uh, it's a quick turnaround. Input is needed by October 30th. And if you'd like to participate and provide feedback to help refine and enhance these documents, please visit trustuscotton.org slash trust hyphen protocol hyphen standard. That, once again, that's trustuscotton.org slash trust protocol standard. And that will take you to the website uh, where you can you can leave your comments and uh, and provide some input. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we're now going to turn our focus to the ever important topic of soil health and some of the work and programs that are currently in place to benefit cotton production. And joining me now is Jessica Kelton, who's a soil health educator for the Soil Health Institute. Jessica, thanks for joining me today. It's great to be here, Jim. Thank you, and welcome to the Cotton Companion. Now, I, I'm not sure how much our audience understands about the Soil Health Institute, and I recognize that it's headquartered over in the Raleigh, North Carolina area, but as I recall, you're based in Southeast Alabama, and you've got a lot of other colleagues based in other parts of the country. Can you take a couple minutes to fill us in on, on the Institute's background and, and, and mission? Yeah, so the Soil Health Institute is a 501c3, and it is again, like you said, across the, the U.S. and some programs into to Canada. But really our mission is to safeguard and enhance the vitality and productivity of soils. And really we're, we're focused on doing that through research and outreach. And I get to play that outreach component, but we have um, a lot of brilliant, brilliant soil scientists doing a lot of work in, in soil health. And um, right now they're really focused on looking at, okay, we, we talk about soil health, but how do we quantify it? How do we how do we measure soil health? Um, how healthy is our soil currently and how healthy can our soil be um, by implementing practices to help improve soil health? So again, um, we're not just in cotton, but we are working in dairy systems, corn and soy. We're even in some potato systems throughout Canada and the US. But again, my favorite is the cotton programs, specifically the US um, Regenerative Cotton Fund. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about some of those programs here for just uh, just a little bit. The institute's been real active across the Cotton Belt programs and research over the last few years, and and we've talked about some of those before on on the podcast. What specific? Can you give us some specifics on what the institute's been doing in cotton and how that program is structured? Yeah. So before the U.S. Regenerative Cotton Fund, we had Healthy Soils for Healthy Cotton, and that was across the um, the Cotton Belt. I think we are moving into year three of the U.S. Regenerative Cotton Fund, um, and really there's there's several components of it. Again, going back to the understanding how healthy our soils are and how healthy can they be if we implement different um, regenerative practices. Then also looking at the economics. I know that's a key component that sometimes is 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 the ultimate goal, but overlooked when we're uh, adopting practices. So. Uh, we work with our economists to do some partial budgeting analysis to be able to give growers an understanding of how changing these practices can affect their their net income. But again, from a regional perspective, so those are two components. And then that outreach component: how do we take that research and the why should the these practices be done to how do we implement them? And um, so that's the, the component that I work in. Again, for three years, uh, USRCF has been going strong across um, the cotton-producing states. We started, I think, in um, Texas, Arkansas, Mississippi, and we've moved it now into Alabama, 
Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and in 2024, we'll be moving into Oklahoma, Missouri, and California, and looking at some of the um, the outreach that we can do there to help facilitate growers to be able to successfully adopt some of these practices. Now, you've got, I believe when we've, we've discussed before, you've got several components involved in uh, in some of these outreach programs. Can you can you tell us a little bit about those? Absolutely. So, you know, no one person can be an expert. Um, I don't consider myself an expert in Alabama, much less an expert in Texas or Mississippi or any other state. So relying on one single expert or several experts to try to help growers adopt practices, I think is is going to be counterproductive. So we recognize that and we want to be able to work with local experts. And we refer to those as our technical specialists in those regions, boots on the ground that have the experience in that state that can be um, a resource for a grower. If we get a call and there's a grower that's interested in adopting cover crops, who can help them to be able to put that into to practice, but with local re- locally relevant Im- information? So our technical specialist can be anyone from extension that's been working in cover crops and reduced tillage for quite a bit of time. Maybe it's someone with the conservation district. Maybe it's a, um, a private consultant that's worked specifically with soil health, but anyone who has that local relevant knowledge that can help uh, growers adopt these practices. So that's one component of it. And the other component of the outreach which I think is is super important, is working with farmer mentors. And anytime we're looking at changing practices, you have those innovators, those early adopters that have taken that risk to change their practices. And, and I guess everyone knows is, is risky. And if, if to try to change practice, you, you take on a, a quite a bit of risk, but they're the ones who've done the trial and error. They're the ones that have committed to understanding how to implement new practices and um, worked out the kinks, and they're always willing to share their their story. And I think that's what's wonderful about ag in general. A lot of times, is there's not a lot of competition. It's not com- it, they're not competing. They would like to see everybody succeed, and they're willing to share what works for them and what doesn't. And I think that's crucial to being able to convince growers that hey, we can make this work. It's not just the research. It's not just the the economics of showing how it can pay off, but it's hearing the story of other growers who have done it on farm, made the mistakes, fixed the mistakes, and have been successful with these practices. So that's the other component. We have our, our technical specialists to, to provide those resources, and then also the farmer mentors to be proponents and to tell other growers how they're making it work. Yeah, grower, growers love to share their success stories with each other. Yeah, and it's wonderful. I think that's one of the the best parts of my job is I actually get to hear those growers tell their stories, and that's it's it's kind of it's it's really inspiring to hear them to speak of 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 what they're doing and how they're making that work on farm. Recently, the institute's been doing quite a bit of work out on the uh, the southern high plains of Texas, uh, which is an area that has not generally been. Let's just say it's not really been a hot spot for for cover crops and and some other conservation tactics. Uh, it's been slow to adapt or adopt in, in those areas. Can you tell me about some of the findings from that uh, from that study? Yeah, so I know what we've, we've done a lot with, um, and me personally, is on the economic side of it. And I've spent a lot of time in the high plains of Texas just trying to understand their, their production, which is completely different than southeast Alabama, um, a lot more limitations than what we have here. So understanding the, their water 
availability is is very slim. So how have they adapted to that? So what we we did with the partial budgeting analysis is understanding those growers who have um, been able to transition either to a reduced tillage system or reduced tillage with cover crops, which um, is not something that we see a lot in the high plains. Um, but we've seen even with those typically who are, are um, limited input, primarily without irrigation, or those that have irrigation on their farms, we've, we've seen where they have been able to increase their net returns um, anywhere from $50 an acre on those um, limited inputs to over $100 an acre for those who are um, farming with irrigation. So that's the, one of the, the key takeaways from that is, yes, it's it's not as widely adopted in that area, but the growers who are adopting these practices are seeing an economic um, benefit from, from putting these practices into place. Even though there's still those limitations of, and, and water's a huge concern, growers are able to, to plant some of the covers and make it work. Um, again, utilizing resources that are specific to the high plains and knowing what, what you can plant, what you can't plant as a, as a cover um, is super important, but there are growers that are making it work out there. They, they always seem to find a way to make it work. Absolutely. They are, they are amazing engineers. Yeah. Especially in that region, it is. It's, it's, and um, if you've not been to that area or seen the production out there, it, it is, it's a daunting um, prospect of going out there to, to, um, to grow cotton, um, particularly when even on an average year, their, their rainfall is much less than what I, I would typically expect to see here in Alabama. Yeah, definitely. Well, you've got, as I understand, Institute has uh, is planning some webinars over the uh, over the next few months during what we traditional cotton meeting season, with a focus on economics and uh, and and the value of cover crops, just sort of the things that that you've talked about. What what's planned with these webinars? Uh, when are they going to when when are they scheduled? And how can growers participate in these? So we do again part of the outreach is providing some resources. Uh, that growers can use. We would like to make sure that they're in multiple formats. Some people like hard copies. I love a hard copy of a fact sheet. Many people um, prefer podcasts or webinars so they can interact with um, the presenters. So making sure that we have those resources in multiple formats. But um, two, two of the webinars we plan are going to um, focus on economics. Again, when we're doing those economics, we really want them to be regionally specific. It's great to say we have economics and that overall economics, it, it, it works and you can make money and we're looking at it across the, the entire cotton belt. But we know that it changes from region to region, so we wanted to be regionally specific. So our first webinar will be in the, the Texas High Plains, um, focused on the, the economics and the partial budget analysis. And it'll be November 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern. And uh, we will have our economist on there as well as some others to present that those findings and the fact sheet, which is actually already available at our website, uh, soilhealthinstitute.org. But they'll have, uh, give growers and anyone else who's interested an opportunity to interact with the presenters and ask some more specific questions if they would like to. Um, the next one is going to be economics in Georgia. So again, looking at the, the partial budget analysis but specific to the Georgia area. And that one is going to be November 30th at 12 p.m. Eastern. And for those, anyone who's interested, they're, they're more than um, more than happy to have you call me. I can give you my number now or I can give it to you at the end. 
uh, along with my email, and I can get you the information how to register that for those two. The next session or the next series that we're planning on doing is cover crops, specifically cover crops for weed suppression. And, you know, if you look at reduced tillage and cover cropping, we know we have a, a significant adoption rate of reduced or no-till across the cotton belt. But cover crops have been a lot slower to be adopted and um, it, making sure that we have some resources for growers. And there are, are there's a lot of existing resources, but what these um, two fact sheets are really designed to do is kind of compile the research that's out there focused on weed suppression uh, potential of cover crops specific to cotton. So we wanted to make sure that we could say, here's here's how cover crops can benefit you from soil health perspective, but also to reduce your weed pressure. But how does that, how is that um, working in cotton systems? So those two fact sheets we hope to have available in, at the, in the spring of 2024. And when they are released, we will also have webinars that line up with both of those. Again, different uh, different outlet for getting those resources out there and an opportunity for growers to ask questions, which I think is really great. Um, there's a lot of times we don't always include the, the, the answers to questions that growers might have. So the opportunity to ask the, the, the researchers or the educators specific questions, the webinars are a great opportunity for that. I understand registration links for these webinars will be up uh, and available very, very soon. They will be. Uh, but if somebody if somebody has questions, and you mentioned uh, your email address or, or phone number, if you'd like to go ahead and share yeah, that. My email is jkelton at soulhealthinstitute.org. And my phone number is 334-200-4770. And if any of that is too difficult, just check us out on soulhealthinstitute.org. And you can find uh, a link to, to my contact information or Emily Ball is the other soil health educator that works with the U.S. Regenerative Cotton Fund. So re feel free to reach out to either of us. Okay, sounds great. Jessica, thank you. I appreciate your time today and and, and appreciate you joining us to share uh, share this information. And sounds like uh, some exciting programs uh, already already finished or at least moving toward completion. And and certainly uh, the webinar series is uh, is something I think growers should, uh, should definitely be interested in as well. And absolutely. And hopefully we will have some more economic webinars coming out specific to other states. And so if your state's not being covered at the moment, we hope to have it covered pretty soon. Sounds good. Jessica, thank you so much. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. Thanks to Jessica Kelton with the Soil Health Institute for sharing some of the current and planned activities coming for cotton. A big thanks, too, to Vive Crop Protection for their participation and sponsorship with the Cotton Companion. And as always, thanks to you, dear listeners, for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you like what you heard, please be sure to spread the word and tell your friends about the Cotton Companion podcast. Here's where and how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. 
Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at the World Headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. I'm Jim Stedman, and Beck Barnes and I will be back with you in a few weeks with the next episode of the Cotton Companion. Until then, stay safe. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made it for him. Yeah, he 